Hello, this is David. There's video up for this conversation with Becky on YouTube. It looks great. Also, all the links for her stuff, the Harfi Project, the podcast, the Insta, it's all down below, so go and check that out as well. Hope you enjoy the conversation. So how has your Koreanness changed over the years? Has it become more or less important at various times? Has it been emphasized or de-emphasized in certain situations? Is it something you've embraced, rejected? And finally, what is your Koreanness at the moment? Yeah, that was a very good question. Um, how has your Koreanness changed over the years? Well, I think when you're younger, it's it feels just very natural. It's something that you don't even think about. Mm. You know, it's just, oh, this is my mom's Korean. This is my dad. He's American. You're not actively considering what that might mean. It's just how it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just like other aspects of identity, right? So as you get older, the nuances of certain characteristics of yourself, things that make up who you are, the meaning and the depths of all of those things. Mm. As you get older, you start to explore them more and it gains a little bit more weight or importance, right? Mm -hmm. um, that all being said, so when I was younger, of course, I didn't, I don't think I thought about in terms of like, this is how Korean I am. This is mm -hmm. as much Koreanness that I hold. Um, just hearing my mom speaking Korean at home, it was very natural. It's just, right. you know what it means. Um, I think it's very similar to, to uh, in this case, like with language for me, I would hear my mom speaking Korean to me when I was younger. And you mm -hmm. just, you just innately, know what it means you don't actually translate it or think about it sure um and then as i got older right and i would study korean more actively i remember having this this moment like a lightning bolt that hit me mm. when i put two and two together ka means to go ta is the ending form of let's mm -hmm. and it just it completely blew my mind nice. even though my whole life i've been hearing haja haja but you just mm. No. And I think it's very similar when it terms to um, exploring aspects of your identity in terms of being Korean. And you start to actively recognize or notice, oh, this is what's meant all along. Oh, this is the importance mm. of it. Um, and so that was for me part of the, um, the, the process, right? Yeah. And when it comes to culture and ethnicity, I think a lot of it also has to do with which backdrop it's against, right? You have a heightened awareness of your differences when everyone else is around you is similar right. in their own way. And um, so I can recall in my life, certain instances where it became a lot more apparent, my differences or the differences in my family versus others. Like when I experienced racism for the first time when mm. I was in elementary school or when kids at the table would compare my lunchbox with their lunchbox. And uh, prior to that, you don't, you don't really notice that, but again, mm -hmm. it's against the backdrop of uh, people who are different from you. Sure. Um, and it was especially in high school, I think that's when I first interacted with the community of Korean exchange students. And we had mutual interest. Like mm. I would look at them, they would look at me and we would look at each other from across the room and after class would come over. Are you Korean? Yeah, I'm mm. Korean. Oh my goodness, let's hang out. Um, and that was kind of the first time I really had a strong desire to be part of this small, albeit small, mm. uh, Korean community. And, um, and then in a different way, my differences were also very starkly felt and noticed. Mm. Um, and so I think at this point, 
my desire to be Korean stemmed more from the desire to be part of the community, sure. especially where you feel like you should belong. Um, and there's a certain struggle with playing catch up for not having natural access to the full experience of Korean mm. culture and upbringing. So I would go back and forth, I think, between feeling really proud of my Korean heritage once I started understanding more what it meant mm. um, and feeling devastated with my gaps of cultural knowledge because they could be so, so extreme, right? Yeah. And um, when it's pointed out on a regular basis, oh, your pronunciation is funny. You've never tried this Korean food. Oh, you don't know that song. Everyone our age love that song, right? And so, when you start hearing those things on a regular basis, you, you do feel more strongly like, oh, my my lack of Koreanness and what that might mean. Mm. Um, of course, my sample size is quite small. What I'm telling you, it's just, it's just Korean exchange students, just a number, maybe five or six, who primarily came from wealthy families in Seoul. So even their own experience of what it means to be Korean could be you know a bit different than mm. other people from other parts of the country. Um, but this is probably the first time it sparked my desire to be Korean and I've had my ups and downs and I'll be honest, still now, like uh, I do waver between mm. I want to be full Korean and you should accept me as full Korean and, and feeling as if I need to uh, claim some sort of stake on that. Um, but also feeling a certain awkwardness when I am acknowledged as full Korean, like when I was mm. on a set once and uh, somebody was speak, the director was speaking to me in English and my agent who was next to me said, oh, Becky's, Becky's Korean, you can just talk to her in Korean. Mm. And the director, there was a moment where we all like looked at each other, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind mm -hmm. of, is that true? Uh, yes, it's true. Okay. But I felt a little bit awkward because in a way it, it's sort of a lie as well, mm -hmm. um, at least how I felt at that time. So I, I haven't quite yet come to full terms of should I be establishing myself as full Korean mm. or should I be comfortable with not being full Korean? And and I think it, it does go back and forth, especially to determined on um, how the other person is, is looking at me or interacting with me. Is that a stable position? I'm not 100% sure, <laughs> to be honest, but <laughs> I am still going through that. That's kind of natural, isn't it? Because I think for most of us, some days we want to be sort of old and sophisticated. Other days we want to revisit our youth. And so we yeah. have that with age. We have that with position or appearance. So probably with identity as well, it must mm -hmm. waver in between. Do you think then it was sort of when you first became aware of it, was it sort of in teenage years where you start questioning that? Is Do you think that's a common thing when people start mm -hmm. wondering who they are? And so was it in your teenage years that you started coming to terms with that or? Yeah, I, I would say so. I started to, you notice those differences. And some people, of course, notice from a much younger age. Mm. Maybe I lacked some sort of self-awareness, but it was particularly around maybe 15. I would say about 15. Mm. Yeah, because um, prior to that, I never really had any stable community. We just moved a lot. So my community was just my family pod. Sure. And my family is just well, my family has always been. But then when I finally hit about 15 and I was attending a high school for at least three years, and mm -hmm. that's when I met the community of Koreans. Um, and that's kind of the, the first time I really started comparing myself with other people, people mm -hmm. who didn't look like me, like my sisters or people I didn't fully understand, like my parents. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of for me a little bit of finally looking at myself from the outside point of view and, and comparing myself. And I, I think it's, it's a pretty natural time right. for some people, maybe a bit earlier as well, you know, middle school, but you start to gain this sort of self-consciousness 
that yep. happens, I would say in your teens, maybe preteens um, and ethnicity just was part of that. What was the language like growing up? Because you mentioned your mother sort of saying Mukta, Hada, Kada, these kind mm -hmm. of things. Was there, was there two languages? Was it uh, predominantly English? How did that work? Mm -mm -mm. Um, yeah, so my mom actually didn't speak English when she first came to the US after marrying my dad in the late 80s. And my older sister, so we've been told her first language was Korean, but mm -hmm. since coming to the US when she was younger and attending primarily English speaking schools, of course, naturally English became our first language. My dad didn't speak any Korean outside of really basic terms, annyeonghaseyo, mm -hmm. kamsamida, yeah. right? Um, and my mom, now that I look in retrospect, she, she sacrificed so much and she learned English completely on her own entirely on her own, wow. which is really amazing when I think about that. Um, and so she worked really hard to speak English in the home to be part of, to integrate really in society, what was around us. Mm -hmm. um, but she would do, she would speak to us, I guess it, the term is like kitchen Korean, right? So come here, bring this, hurry up, like yep. those kind of phrases. So you grow up listening to that. She did try to make us attend Korean school on the weekends. Um, but we were the only half Korean kids there. And that was another weird feeling because you would be like pitted against these other students mm. who had the benefit of two Korean speaking parents at home who wanted their kids to learn Korean more naturally sure. versus us who we, we didn't get to hear these things on a regular basis. And you felt a little bit different and looked a little different. Um, but we did learn to read and write from a young age. And now yeah. I, I wish my mom had pushed Korean more on us. But um, I asked her once, like, why, why didn't you have us speak Korean more from a young age? Mm. And she just said, I didn't want you guys to um, not be able to compete with other students around you because of language. And I think at that time, this concept of bilingualism, like mm -hmm. it would mess up your child's brain or something. I don't believe in that. Um, and I also don't blame my mom for not trying sure. more actively to teach us. Yeah, I, I can completely understand that. And it's a really difficult one, the language. Like, even though mm. I can speak Korean a, a little bit, I, I don't to my children. I just try to speak to mm -hmm. them in English. And I think everybody has different theories about what's the best way to do it. But yeah, it must have been really interesting for your parents with those language things. I love the term yeah. kitchen Korean. It's the first time I've heard that. But it oh, makes yeah? perfect sense, the little <laughs> things that you pick up. My yeah. my son Edward said to me yesterday, or he said to to to, to me and my wife, he said, do all Korean people have white faces and all English people have red faces? Because daddy's face <laughs> is red. <laughs> and we had to, well, it's just, it's just, but he was genuinely curious about that. And he sort of yeah. generalized across, you know, a whole 50, 60 million people that those yes. were the faces that people look like, because yeah. that's his reference point <laughs> until he'll go to school and, and like you did get that bigger context. Yeah, um, of course. Just coming back to these parents then. So when I was preparing yeah. for this, I, I did speak to different people about getting some ideas. And so many people were interested in the role of parenting uh, sure. with this. So, you know, there's no set family. So we all come from different backgrounds. We might be raised mm -hmm. by one parent, two, three. Sometimes the mother might be Korean. Sometimes mm -hmm. the father might be Korean. Um, we also have an increasing number of multicultural children being born here in Korea. So what is the role of the parents in helping children f thrive? Mm -hmm. What can the parents mm -hmm. do to help? And were there any particular lessons that you learned from your own parents that helped you understand who you were and, and your experiences? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's no wonder that there are many parents who ask those questions now, because I do think this is, um, let's say, the the uh, the community of mixed Korean homes and and um, interracial parents. It has greatly expanded, of yeah. course, in the recent years. And prior to this, I, I don't know if parents really actively thought so much about their mixed Korean kids and the experience they might be going through. Mm. Um, yeah, now we have got social media and everything. So everybody's looking at each other. But uh, when it comes to when it comes to parents, I'm of course I'm not a parent, so mm -hmm. I couldn't really 100% know like this is how parents should be because everyone says they're a great parent until they become one. So I don't really 100% know. But judging from my own experience, um, I always want to emphasize that it's from my own experiences and the conversations I've had with the limited number of mixed Koreans that I've met so far. But in terms of the roles of parents, I mean, I do think it starts with what every parent should do regardless of your kid's ethnicity, right? Mm -hmm. Instilling them with self-confidence, self-awareness, critical thinking skills, a curiosity about the world, because no matter where you go, there's gonna be those who are say, you are not smart enough to be mm -hmm. here. You're not accomplished enough to be here. You're not pretty enough to be here. Um, there will be those who claim themselves as gatekeepers to certain communities. And, and we see the same thing happening to the gatekeepers of Korean culture and what it means to be mm -hmm. Korean. And um, parents are the ones who can tell their children to be strong in themselves and love themselves for who they are. But along with that goes self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to recognize your own differences, having the ability to view yourself from an outside perspective and ask yourself, is this what I want? Is this who I want to be? And I think that's key when your child is going through their own journey of identity, uh, mixed Korean or not. That all being said, growing here in Korea, uh, I would say parents do have a very unique and maybe sometimes burdensome role of celebrating the differences in your home, as well as cultivating both cultures with equal respect. I have noticed, um, particularly with, um, let's say, Korean women who marry American GIs, mm -hmm. I have noticed that more often than not, it would seem as though the Korean culture and language is pushed aside in pursuit of successfully integrating with the surrounding society. And there's absolutely no blame to that. I can understand why. But mm. I can say later on, at least for myself, it can cause distress when you feel like there's something that had been denied to you when you were younger, such as language or Korean food or Korean culture or visiting Korea mm. um, when you were younger. And you might feel that as you get older. So having parents who, who recognize the, the full value and respecting both languages and cultures, I think that's that's really key. Uh, there is one thing, I know this answer is a bit long, but there is yeah. one thing I've I've noticed, um, especially when I visited Hemil Hakyo, that multicultural school designed mm. specifically for mixed Korean students in mind. Um, something they emphasized is though you want to integrate in Korean society and be part of Korean society and speak the Korean language, they always emphasize learn your other parents' mother tongue as well, as mm -hmm. difficult as that might be, um, because your home is built up not, of course, in all cases, but let's say built up of two parents who speak different languages and have different cultures and experiences and upbringings, and you would want to be equally close with both. Mm. And um, I find that in mixed homes, especially mixed Korean homes, if you don't speak one language of the other parent, there may be rifts or misunderstandings or miscommunications. Mm. And I would love to see that not happening um, because we know with miscommunication, resentment can sometimes grow. Mm. So being able to have parents who cultivate this understanding of differences and equal respect, um, I think could go really quite a long way. 
No, I completely agree. And what you said about the, the social media aspect of it is so important because what I've noticed is that most parents in sort of like this um, uh, group of dads with Korean children, you know, there's these social media groups of which I'm a part, and everybody has a different idea and a different approach. And I think until you see everyone doing their own things and communicating, you don't really know what to do. Mm. Well, there's no set path, but by being able to share these experiences and people have different ideas with language, what we should do and what we shouldn't mm -hmm, do. Mm -hmm. That school's really interesting, actually. It's really interesting, right? Because that's another big question. Do they go to Korean school? Do they go to international schools? Do they go to this, this other sort of mixed Korean school that you've mentioned? Again, there's yeah. no answer to that, is there? It's just you kind of have to make do. I mean, it would be great to be able to send your kids to the best and all the time, but you sort of have to go with what's put in front of you, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mixed Korean school was a very interesting concept for me. I think prior to attending, I had somewhat conflicting ideas. Sometimes I was like, you need to have the safe environment where you can celebrate being mixed Korean. And then the other half of me was saying, but then why would you segregate full Korean students and mixed Korean students? Why would you yeah. do that either? It just further emphasizes the separation. But after visiting the school, I, I recognized that one, they it is, of course, kept in mind mixed Korean students, but they're trying to make it at least 50% of full Korean students who just happen to live in the community. It's an mm -hmm. accredited school. Um, so it's just a matter of attending school together from a young age. This mm -hmm. helps to eliminate biases from Korean students about mixed Korean students and mixed Korean students being able to integrate well with Korean society from a young age. And I was thinking this is actually this is a this is a great idea and and that should be what ordinary schools look like right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um it did change my mind a bit about that having schools at least actively thinking about the needs mixed korean students might have and yeah that's really important because we always have these would you call it like a, a preconception or an mm -hmm. initial emotional judgment of like i'm not sure about that idea that seems like segregation or it seems to be going backwards but we naturally have those things, but it's not until we go out and talk to those people and, and then experience yeah. it that's so important to do, which is yes. why I'm, I'm glad that you do it. Um, touching on that, to go to this next mm -hmm. question, Becky, and it, it, it's a bit of a long question, but I do think it's important for this. Now, Korea has its own story with its achievements overcoming longstanding dynasties, the trauma of colonization, brutal civil war, ideological division, cultural success. And part of all this story and what's helped Korea get where it's come to today has been a particular Korean attitude towards race and ethnicity and this kind mm -hmm. of tanil minjok, this single ethnicity that has been emphasized, um, a single family line from Tangun Halobodji downwards. And my mm -hmm. kids sing that song all the time and they know about it. And this is different from a multicultural society where you're your nationality or ethnicity is determined by your passport. In South mm -hmm. Korea, it's often looked at in terms of your blood. So mm -hmm. you might see somebody like Ma Dong Sok, who is American, but he looks mm -hmm. Korean, so he is mm -hmm. Korean. How do you think this kind of uh, Korea's particular history, Korea's specific attitudes towards race and nationality, how do you think these play a role in your and others' quest to understand your Korean identity? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you have these nationally decided issues, right, but then it's judged according purely on your looks, as in you fit the mold of what a Korean ethnic Korean might look like, mm. um, then discrimination, of course, can occur. 
based on your looks alone, right? Yeah. And I, I want to give you an example. When um, recently we entered uh, a restaurant, I and my fiance, who is also half Korean, but he looks less Korean than I do. Congratulations we... on the engagement, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I just I just dropped that fact for the the compliments. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we entered the restaurant, um, the maitre d' at the front. She said to me, like, did you do your QR code check? Simply, mm -hmm. I said, yes. She looked at him and then she looked at me and spoke to me in Korea. Did he do his QR check? I said, yes, he did. And she said, well, is he fully vaccinated? And I was like, yes. And she said, in Korea, he's fully vaccinated in Korea. I said, yes, he's fully vaccinated in Korea. And um, the unfortunate truth is that those things happen pretty often to us. Um, mm. I also thought about a different restaurant when COVID first broke out here. They had this big sign on the front door that said, no foreigners allowed. Yeah. And uh, part of me wanted to test this, this idea is, is if I entered the restaurant, would they stop me and demand to see my passport? Or would they have just let me go by? Mm. As opposed to Cedric, if he had entered, what, how would they have responded to him? And the line then becomes very blurred sometimes because mm. it's it's depending exactly on how you look. And mixed Koreans, of course, the range does vary, looking very, very Korean as opposed to not Korean. Um, and so the question is, are we foreign enough to be rejected? Are we Korean enough to be accepted? And that kind of question covers a, a lot of experiences we might have. Something I found really interesting about this was uh, until 2011, Korean soldiers would make an oath not to protect the Korean country mm. but the korean race right and uh that really stunned me when i came across this fact and so this i understand why korea especially drew on this idea of yeah. to gather strength and to gather unity um it's, it's an easy way to gather unity especially in a country like korea in order to overcome many of the difficulties Korea faced, mm. but it does put you as someone who's half Korean or even Korean Kyopo, who carries the ethnicity, but a different nationality. Um, where, where do you fall in here? Mm. And uh, there are, there are moments pretty much on a daily basis where you recognize that, you know, even when you're just checking something and it asks you, are you Weigokin or Hangokin? And we know what they mean. Of course we know what they mean. They're talking about nationality, but if you look at it from a different angle, you're kind of like, well, which one should I pick, right? Which one do you pick? Does it depend? <sighs> well, it, it will depend. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, when it's the phone, because it's attached to my, my passport mm -hmm. and information, I'll put Wegokin. But if I go to the bank mm -hmm. or uh, when I visited Samsung Digital City recently, mm. you draw a number and it will ask you, are you Wegokin or Hangukin? And at mm. that point, I just draw Hangukin. Mm -hmm. Um because then they don't have to speak to me in English with a certain individual. They don't have to go through all this paperwork. And I just go right by simply mm. because they just assume. Um, yeah, so on some parts, I suppose it is a benefit to how I look. But on other parts, I feel it very keenly. Oh, discrimination easily happens based purely on how you look. And I wonder if that leads back to because Korea doesn't quite separate between nationality and ethnicity. Mm. Uh, no, it doesn't. Yeah. And um I guess a lot of it comes from colonization time and the trauma of that because there was no Korean state. So they found collective mm -hmm. unity in, in the people rather than yeah. the thing that issues passports. Yeah. In the nation, in the people. Does that, I just want to try to come back to this question a little bit more again, because I sure. think it's, it's unique to Korea. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and and this focus on your your Korean by blood, I think if that was going on in sort of Western Europe, people might be a little bit hesitant. They'd be like, "Uh oh, we've kind of been here before. It's not that good. But, (laughs) you know, we we see where that goes. But it's different in Korea and it is unique here because of its history. But there is this focus on like, and and people disagree and have all sorts of opinions about the idea of Han, this collective Mm. unconsciousness, this kind of feeling that all Koreans Mm -hmm. will possess that's beyond Mm -hmm. a passport. Do you get feelings of that, not just in QR codes, but with sort of these kind of collective cultural conditions such as as Han or Jong, or does that play a role in it at all? Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think on the terms of Han. So could you rephrase this question to me one more time, just so I can understand fully? Yeah, sure. So I think the reason I asked this question is because um, a lot of my Korean undergrad students at university will tell me that, yeah, most Koreans know Han. If you're Korean, Mm -hmm. you know Han. And Mm -hmm. Han being this kind of indescribable feeling of sorrow, but beauty. Mm -hmm. And so then I'll ask them, well, can I know Han if I've got a PhD and studied it? Mm -hmm. And they kind of look at me a bit funny and they're like, well, some will say yes, some will say no. And that's perfectly understandable. And I say, well, what about my kids? Like they got Mm -hmm. Han. And again, they'll start thinking about these ideas, but, and it's not to criticize them, but it's just to suggest that there's this assumption that if you're Korean, you have a certain understanding of certain conditions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Goes beyond QR codes. it goes beyond a legal form, but it's it's Han, it's Nunchi, it's these kind of things that you possess innately. Do you possess, I, I guess I'd try and ask you this mm-hmm. question then, do, do you have Han? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly like Han, Nunchi, Chong. I don't think we can say it is because you have Korean blood, that those things are just passed down to you in your DNA. Um, but I, I think they're of course very it's connected culturally and Korean culture is a very implicit culture. And there are certain things that I guess you cultivate simply by being part of this Korean culture. And and Nunchi is a perfect example of that. I had been, when I was researching Nunchi and I also read your article on it, um, I came across this blog that was saying, Koreans don't have Nunchi. We are forced to make Nunchi because of the Korean culture that we live in, because of the Korean society and the hierarchical Mm. system and the way we're always where do we fit in? And we're trying to read the other person's mind and saving face. And thus, Nunchi is a result of this inability to openly communicate. Um, and I found that to be a really interesting analysis. And I wonder if, if that's true. If that is true, then in other high context cultures that are very implicit, they would also have Nunchi, wouldn't they? And so in that case, it's not exactly a Korean thing. Right. Um, and Han was another interesting one because we did an episode on that. And of course we came from the Korean perspective, but we found so many people, especially African-American communities, for example, who would write it and say, I know exactly what you mean. And I also feel this, this sense, I just didn't have a word for it. Mm. So I wonder maybe Korea just <laughs> put the word on something that, that a lot of people do feel. And Han, in a way, gives Koreans, especially older Koreans, sort of um, a reason to hold on to these feelings yeah. of, uh, of feeling upset about something and feeling helpless about something. And Han gives them almost, and I don't mean excuse in a negative term, as in mm. they didn't do anything about it, but sort of an excuse or reason to hold on to these feelings of, of bitterness and, and anger and sadness um, and claiming it as this is just the Korean 
this is just the Korean experience and you can't take that away from me instead of actually working through some of these traumas that uh, the Korean people have faced. It's really thinking about that point that you raised from that article that things like Nunti or Han, they might be the effect rather than the cause. It might be coming because of the way Korean people live. Yeah. The cause of this thing is not Nunti. The mm -hmm. effect of how people live is Nunti and that's how it manifests. That's a very, uh, I think, interesting way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you a, a, another question now, and we're going to get into your to your research project and your channel, The Harfi Project, and talk a lot about that. And mm -hmm. so as, as a warm up to that, and it might be counterintuitive, but when I was listening to you talk about your experiences, I wondered, do you think that in South Korea, it's sometimes easier to be a foreigner than to be a Harfi? Uh, mm -hmm. Are there more expectations on people like yourself in terms of language and cultural understanding and history? Do people who are 100% foreigners get an easier ride? You know, you say one sentence of Korean and people lose their mind and look, they can eat spicy food and kimchi. So we would imagine, I think, that people with Korean heritage like yourself would find it easier here because of the background and understanding. But do you think it's the other way around? What's your take on this? Mm -hmm. Becky? Yeah, um, Korean culture and Korean language and the history, I mm. think is, it can be difficult to understand if you're not innately naturally growing up with this at a younger age. Um, and I also think that when you are half Korean, there will be some more expectations placed on you and come with that, I think sometimes a sense of guilt when you cannot match those expectations. Mm. Um, for example, that what you had mentioned, the statement, oh, wow, your, your Korean is so good, right? If you say, Annyeonghaseyo, and everyone's just mm. amazing, your Korean is so good. Um, spoken to, to me, let's say, as half Korean, it can feel like a double-edged sword um, because on one hand, you know they're complimenting you, but on the other hand, you also know, but I, I should be speaking Korean well. So by you saying, wow, your Korean is so well, it implies that you're shocked. And mm -hmm. then that means my Korean isn't good. And so then I feel like, like a sense of burden, a sense of guilt, as if um, there's a certain, there's these things that I should know that should innately be mine that I don't know. And mm -hmm. um, it can be very hurtful. So I think in, in that sense, these expectations to know implicit cultural rules that you may not have had the opportunity to learn. And then when you can't match those expectations, um, you really can you know, knock yourself down. To give an example, when I was working at a, a Korean agency and um, I was the only half Korean in the whole agency, it's quite a big agency. And then we had one person who was American, mm. who was there, who was not Korean. And this person didn't speak Korean, they just spoke English. Um, and everyone would speak to me in Korean. And I had never worked in a, a Korean business setting like this. And I had to follow all the rules that were happening in mm -hmm. the office. And I just, I just picked it up, right? I had to pick it up. And this other person, not at all, didn't have to follow any rules at all. However, when I did break a rule or when there was something that I, sh I should have known, but I, I didn't because I'd never experienced it before, then people would say, oh, well, Becky's a foreigner. So that's why she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So it was a strange burden of being expected to follow all of the rules and standards. But when you do break it, then you're just suddenly switched off from being Korean. Oh, she's, well, she's not Korean anyway. So what did, mm. what could we have expected more? Um, and so there is a, there is a bit of a, a burden. And, and like I said, very strongly felt sense of guilt when you feel like you cannot match those expectations. Um, mm. But on the other hand, there are some 
aspects of being mixed Korean that do give you some benefits. Um, I had spoken with one individual who's Korean and Egyptian. And he said here in Korea, he would always tell people I'm half Korean, mm. not I'm half Egyptian. Should it have made a difference? I don't know. He still, his language level would have been the same. His experience mm. in Korean culture would have been the same, but simply by stating I'm half Korean, he said it would put other people at more ease with him in certain settings. Like, oh, well then he'll understand some things or, oh, that's fine. Then he, he gets it. He's also Korean. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it can give you a bit of an, an in, right? Um, but then sometimes being easier to, it's much easier being completely foreign instead. You're just given a pass if you don't understand things. Yeah, I've noticed that, that the more Korean I learn, the more I interact completely in Korean, the harder <laughs> it becomes, the different view I have of the country because of the hierarchy, because of the language, because of the Nanjing, right, right. all these expectations and, you know, social etiquette that, that you have to follow. Mm -hmm. um, so if we go to this now, then to the Harfi Project, Becky, which yeah. is um, for, for those that are not aware of it, like check the links below, it will all be there. But it's not only incredibly popular and I've watched it grow over, you know, since it began, but you take a really interesting approach in the Hafi project because you're talking to people like you just mentioned with Egyptian and Korean mixed heritage and all these others, but rather than the pure academic approach of statistics and data and theories and sociology, it seems that you're primarily concerned with listening, sharing individual experiences, their memories, their lives, and, mm -hmm. uh, and something that I've tried to do a lot recently, which is talk to people rather than talk about people. You know, you mm -hmm. actually go and see and meet them. So from this Harfi project and, and the way you've gone with it, what do you think we gain from talking to people? And, and what have you learned by taking this approach in the Harfi project? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, behind data and, and theories and statistics, behind all those numbers, it's, I mean, it's simply humans anyway. And um, how we, we quantify that is, I guess it's up to whoever's doing research. And I've wondered this too, right? I've, I've wondered, should we be turning this into data? Because we have, it, have touched in an, an interesting and unique pool of people. Mm. Should we be trying to quantify the things that we are hearing and we are learning? And I've thought about this and we've, I've heard from professors who have told me, you know, you should really turn this into an academic project. You'd get, you'd get uh, funding from universities, for example, which is definitely tempting, mm -hmm. but um, I'm not sure if that's what would draw people to the Hafi project because they aren't turned into numbers or just broken down into maybe one quality that they have and trying to define them by that one quality. Um, instead, they're just given the space to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think these stories are very, very interesting and important um, because for a long time, for many people, these stories are withheld because they're told that they're not important or some people tell them who who even cares like uh, when I first started this project a family member who was quite close to me mm. said like no one even cares about half Koreans like why do you even bother talking about them? no one's talking about them anyway what's important and that was that was a bit um, that really gave me pause to think like are they right are these stories important at all am I making mountains out of molehills um, so that's one thing and or maybe these stories are really painful and uh Another family member had also said, you're just stirring up painful memories that people have buried. Why mm -hmm. would you bring them up? You're just going to mm -hmm. hurt people again. Um, 
And that also gave me pause to think. So when I, when I was thinking about drawing out these stories and information, I realized it's precisely because of those reasons we should be talking about that. And um, the fact is, I, I think that because I am half Korean, of course, it doesn't mean I will understand everyone else's experience. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that it, it does give me sort of a similar footing on the other person to say, at least I, I can see where you're coming from. I may not fully understand, but you're in a safe place here because how could I judge you for any of your experiences when mm -hmm. my experience may have been quite similar? Um, that being said, I'm, I'm able to ask sometimes questions that are inflammatory that people wonder, mm -hmm. but right. maybe don't feel safe enough to ask. Like, for example, do you think people who, someone who is non-Korean should marry someone who is Korean and have a mixed Korean child? When you think about that mixed Korean kid's experience mm -hmm. growing up, you as a mixed Korean, I as a mixed Korean asking this question, what do you think about that answer? Uh, what do you think about that question? And, and having these conversations that could be difficult, that could be painful, but put in a very safe space. And um, the more that I've been asking these questions of people and sharing these stories, the more I realize how valuable this space has become for many people. Um, and I, I don't think I'm qualified to quantify any of this information. Mm. I don't know if, if that's my role. And I also wonder if it would diminish the emotional weight that these stories carry. Um, so I'm not in any rush, let's say, to turn this into something like theories or statistics. I'm, I am just here to listen and share these perspectives because I, I think it is a unique position to be in. I I read a lot of academic literature on, on different fields because I have to, and mm -hmm. I will often come across papers, you know, peer reviewed that say, we interviewed five people we interviewed mm -hmm. six people and from an interview base of just five or six people, then they draw conclusions and make right. assertions. Of course, it's all done in very modified language, yeah, but mm -hmm. it, it, it's a very small pool, which is sometimes used. So I do think there is a lot of value in what you're doing because you have all of this information and the way that you collect it is important because if you sit someone down in a formal setting and give them a questionnaire, it's going to affect, you know, how you observe yeah. something affects the output. If you, it's probably putting you on the spot and you might not have an answer, but if you were, <laughs> if you were to do something with it, you know, or if there was this possibility of funding or, because I think it should be on more contemporary Korean studies courses, right? I use it as a resource on mine. What do you think could be done with it? With all this information. Yeah, these stories and, and what could be done with it. It is kind of data. It is actual data, you know. Yeah. Or what would you like to see done with it? Or would you like to perhaps see it just kept in its current form? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really excellent question. Um I mean, I, I am very happy when these stories and experiences are used in academic settings. I, I really get a great joy out of hearing from teachers or professors saying, I've used this in my class and mm. use this for discussion papers. Um Gosh, it's it's a really difficult question to say. Where do I want to see this information being used? Hmm. Honestly, I I do like it how it is at this moment. Mm. I I do like the way that it is going, and I think people feel safe to come and talk about it because they know we're not going to take their answers, extrapolate from it, yeah. and you know put it into a research paper. I have no problem sharing my own experiences, but there are those who are very hesitant to talk about it because it's because to them it's it's very real, it's current, and it, it can be sometimes very painful. And um, to just turn it into, this is how half Koreans feel, I think can really uh, downplay on 
on the realities that they're living in. So I don't know yet mm-hmm. what I would like to see happen if we took this information and, you know, and translated it into something else. But at the moment, I'm, I'm quite happy with where it's at. What do your family members that were hesitant about it say now? Do you like send them, look at this, this is 20,000 views. This is, do you sort of flex it to them and, and, and brag a bit? Or how has that gone on, that conversation? When I started it, um, yeah. both, both of my parents were very hesitant to see it happen, I yeah. think, um, which makes perfect sense. I, I completely can understand why, because it's very, very easy to tackle this topic in a negative point of view. It's very easy to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think when you read online or you see even just TikToks where people say, this is how I feel when I see a white man with an Asian woman. And you will see the children themselves who are mixed say things like, oh, my dad, he's this. Oh, my mom, she's this. And um, it's very it's a very easy, from the outside perspective, very easy to negatively portray it. And no wonder my parents would be hesitant mm-hmm. because it can be so misconstrued so easily. Um, so at first there was a lot of pushback, to be honest. Um, and also it's been interesting speaking with, uh, friends, very close friends who are mixed Korean that we've never spoken about this experience of being mixed because it's, it's deeply personal. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I'm asking quite a lot of people to come on camera and, and talk about their experiences, but I've never found it to end in a negative way. And I think that's, what's been really, really key and what has changed people's minds about talking about these these topics um i've I've yet to see it openly embraced by let's say um korean organizations Mm -hmm. i think because it can easily be misconstrued as this is a negative portrayal of korean culture negative portrayal of korean history and we're very careful to to celebrate in fact um the mixed korean experience and history even while highlighting maybe negative aspects Um, yeah so the perspective has changed over time absolutely mm-hmm. i'm glad that you overcame that sort of initial reluctance to your idea because i think every any time we try to do something there's always people sometimes pushing back for whatever reason and yeah <clears throat> i know personally that for example myself growing up i was always at these various different schools with multicultural people around me we were always told mm-hmm. sort of not to pay attention to identity that was right. how we would grow up. And so for some people, it might actually be counterintuitive to their very upbringing, you know? Mm. And so I, I think that might be changing. I do notice you've got your TikTok memes down when you're doing all this and explaining. Oh, is no Harfie way. Proje- is Harfie Project on TikTok? <laughs> Not at all. No? Um, yeah, I just find it difficult to to trim things down into some flashy dance with fonts. Mm. It's just, I don't know if these are soundbite topics. <laughs> One of my students tried to explain TikTok to me last semester. Yeah, like, obviously, go? professor's not going to understand TikTok, so I'll explain it to professor. So. <laughs> um, what I do like, so from TikTok, what I do like about the Harfi project is that perhaps what had been done before were lots of sort of Korean American projects or focusing yes. on one type, but it, it's brilliant going on your website and 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 your channel because there's stories from people who have Indian, German, Japanese, Pakistani, you've mentioned Egyptian heritage. Mm -hmm. And I find that brilliant because when I go into the classroom and see these international students, some of my students now, they're from, they're Korean, but they're also from Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. Or or they're from, they they grew up in Senegal or Sweden. And so I'm noticing that more. It's not just this Mm -hmm. kind of career America, but it's a global thing. And I love that about it. So 
having spoken to so many people around the world like this, what have mm-hmm. you noticed about the global nature of the Korean perspective? How does yeah. how does that all tie in, Becky? Yeah, you make a very good point about um, many of these stories being highlighted, especially in the Korean American experience. Mm. And I obviously there's very good reason for that because Mm. of all the immigration that happened to the states and GI babies and all of this. So naturally, there would be a big community of Korean Americans, mixed Korean Americans, and they have their own experience as well. But I do think there have been so many um, people who are born in other countries or raised in other countries, have other heritage who are also mixed Korean, but are overlooked and I I didn't want to be like this is the mixed Korean experience and it was primarily Korean American because though of course yes we are talking about your actual DNA and your blood Mm. this is a primarily cultural discussion that we are having and so people who also have Indian heritage maybe have grown up with Indian culture and family and that kind of setting. And they are bringing a new experience as well. But the thing that I found very, very interesting, this uh, this common thread of being Korean and then how being part of a, a different culture or country that can also greatly affect your concept of what that means. But Korea is a, it has a very distinct culture. Korea has a very, very um, mm. strong culture that also, I think due to this Tanir Minjo concept, which we can decry the negative aspects, but Definitely, we can say thanks to that. The Korean culture has quite long lasting power, even when completely surrounded by an opposing culture. And uh, I encountered this the first time when I went to Uzbekistan, one of my best friends, she's Kuryo Saram. So she's ethnically Korean, third generation, growing up in Uzbekistan. And uh, this was my first time encountering Kuryo Saram, these Korean groups mm-hmm. in post-Soviet Union states. And um, I was completely fascinated because I felt one quite at home um, and seeing so many Koreans around me. And there are also a lot of mixed Koreans who are still considered embraced fully, um, yet speaking Russian and eating different foods and having different characteristics like I could see. But the Korean culture there, though it may adjust, though it might look a bit different, I noticed it doesn't really dilute. People there are still very proud to be Korean, even though from my perspective, now being in Korea, I would say, but that's not really Korean culture. Then I have to stop myself. Is it? And uh, well, Korean culture, so it has this great lasting power that can exist. And so people who are half Korean, I find more often than not, still feel a sense of great pride in that or um, have had their own experience or their own version of Korean culture in their own upbringing. And it might look a little bit different than what Korean Korean culture is, modern Korean culture today. Yet that common thread, more often than not, of all the experience, all the people I've spoken to, it exists. And it it is very, very fascinating to to see that, especially in cases where you feel like mutually exclusive people, like heritages or backgrounds mm. are meeting and combined by this um, this Korean cultural thread. And a great example was uh, uh, Sungmin and Hana, the Pakistani Korean siblings mm. who grew up in <laughs> like a Muslim home and a Christian home with the parents. These are expected to be mutually exclusive religions. And yet somehow it's simultaneously acceptable to them. And then they could come to Korea and talk about it very easily. Um, and I think we have a lot to learn from those kind of people, especially. But yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to see this, this common thread existing if we're mm-hmm. able to view culture as a changing substance sometimes. Um, yeah, so I've, I've really loved talking to people 
about their experience of Korean culture and seeing how we actually do relate. Because Korea has its own uh, conversation with multiculturalism because of its history. You know, we can't expect mm -hmm. it to be 21st century Canada or France just like that. It has its own story. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think your project is really good because it, it does address that globalized multicultural aspect of it. It's not just one directional. It's not just that specific Korean American story or such forth, but it's mm -hmm. all of it and it is truly mm -hmm. global. And I think that's important. Just hearing you talk about the Soviet states and, mm -hmm. and the, have you ever spoken to anyone from like uh, North Korea, my defector or Talbukja about the Hafi project? Oh, well, I have spoken to uh, North Koreans, but not specifically about the Hafi project. <laughs> but um, that would be interesting is, to see what they make. It would of be it. very interesting. Yes, absolutely. I would love for that to happen. Um, unfortunately, I'm not in touch anymore with this individual, mm. but it would be, yeah, it would be very, very fascinating to see their perspective. But this is actually something that I have used as an example when I was explaining to someone about being mixed Korean and how they were saying, how come I can't assimilate into Korean culture? Why can't I be accepted by Koreans? How come it always feels like no matter how much I try, there's always a separation. And, um, and I, I emphasize, this isn't a matter of blood anymore, okay? You should think also about North and South Korea. Mm. We are the same bloodline. And yet, think how culture has changed. And so you might want to try so hard to be Korean, I'm Korean, but regardless, we know through history and experiences and just changes that people who are from North Korea, people who are from South Korea, there are significant differences. Mm -hmm. And so we, I think it just gives us a bit of compassion when you, when you recognize that even within the same bloodline, even though we hold on so strongly and say Korean is mm. one bloodline, yeah. to still recognize there will be differences and, and that's totally okay. Um, but yeah, it would be really interesting to speak to someone from North Korea with their own perspective on Taner Minjok and the one bloodline and all of that, how they think about the Happy mm. Project. If you know anybody, you could introduce me. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, because I won't go into it too much, but the North Koreans, they have their own perspective on Tanil Minjok and they cling to it even more strongly. So, yes. you know, foreign people can go there. Some foreign people have worked there, studied there, but mm -hmm. to marry a, is marry a North Korean, that's even a step that's not acceptable yet. You know, mm -hmm, they, mm -hmm. they cling to that, at least legally. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about it a little bit. Um, so now I want to go on to language. And mm -hmm. I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, sort of, growing up not paying attention to identity also growing up you know i had said to me many times sticks and stones will break your bones but names will never hurt you we were we were meant to sort of brush off the remarks that was <laughs> yeah. that was part of how i grew up i'm not sure what it was yeah. like for you but we've moved now into a generation just to observe where language is seen as having effect language is seen mm -hmm. as a weapon by some people language is seen as um capable of violence and so mm -hmm. language is monitored online and things like this and many of the words that we might have used in the past not acceptable today yes and by that token i guess as well many of the words we use today might not be then acceptable 20 30 years in the future they might look at us yeah. so let's start if we can with the name of the Harfi project yeah. Uh, and, and this is the name that you chose that you feel comfortable with and it's your identity and I totally respect that. Some people react a little bit differently when I've written about it in the press and absolutely that's their position. So can you tell us a, a little bit more about the name and, and how you've chosen that, please? Yes. Um, to, to say that I just... Um, now arbitrarily look at the Hafi project and just just be like, yeah, this is the name that I picked and just accept it. That's not entirely true. I also 
I worry about it to myself because though personally I might not feel uh, offended by the term, I recognize that the way we present ourselves will also, it will affect the way other people view us or will want to interact with us or not. Um, so I, I do think about the name really quite often. Um, mm. At the beginning, I picked this name because I felt that one, I felt it was more neutral than many, almost all the other names that I could find. Because um, easily we could say, let's say mixed blood. I thought blood carried a, a bit of a, a strong undertone. So I, I really wanted to avoid that. Eurasian, it just Amerasian, terms like that limited the scope of, mm -hmm. of this. And it wasn't even particularly about Korean, even though the term Amerasian was originally used with what American Vietnamese children and Korean American children. And I was just thinking, ah, no, that doesn't work at all either. Half-blood, hybrid, mixed breed, all of these terms as I went farther back, mm. um, never carried the right connotation. Even worse, would carry very negative connotations. Um, and the closest name that I could find to something that would be neutral enough would be Hapa. But again, this wasn't particularly pertaining to the Korean mm -hmm. race. And also there's a lot of controversy behind that term as well. We did an episode on that, our podcast explaining the history of Hapa and then today where my stance is. And I, I honestly cannot judge an individual for using the term Hapa mm -hmm. um, because for some people that is a great, a great term to use to describe themselves. I understand that. So I also bypassed on that. So all of that being said, I was like, gosh, like what, what am I supposed to use? I didn't even want to use half Korean um, because I was, I was worried that there would be those who don't associate themselves as Korean. Maybe they initially, oh, I'm half Brazilian, mm -hmm. but they just happen to have their other half as Korean. I wanted to welcome them as well. Um, and so I guess there was a, the problem here, my catch 22 of being something that was encompassing enough um, mm. but that also explained what I wanted to talk about. So I did land on the Haffy project. And, uh, you know, I, I have been accused, of course, of people saying, can't you find a term that's any better? And I usually just return with what term would you use? Mm -hmm. Why don't you give me an example? And uh, even Hunyor, using Hunyor, I admit Hunyor is not an easy word for people who are native English speakers to pronounce. And it might sound silly, like you should just learn it. But at the same time, I want it to be approachable. Um, and also Hunyor itself, depending on who you ask, has a mm -hmm. negative connotation as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was to say I'm completely without concern about the name Happy Project, which now it has built up some momentum. And there are those who just mm. love the name and those who say this is exactly how I refer to myself as Happy. Mm. Um, so I find Happy just kind of falls along the line of many of the other terms used to describe mixed Koreans. And uh, it's up to us to decide is this going to have a negative connotation to us or positive connotation. And we work really hard to give it a positive connotation, but it is, it's a word just like every other word that carries the vehicle. Mm. It's a vehicle that carries the meaning, but yeah. And it sounds good. It's catchy. I mean, it, without I it, for, for a channel or, or for the thing that you're doing, it, it rolls off the tongue correctly. It's the right amount of syllables and things like that. It yeah. works. And I, I don't think you can please everybody, I guess. And, no. and when I see comments underneath the videos or when I've asked people questions about it, some people will immediately come back and say, yeah, this is the term that mm -hmm. I use as well. And mm -hmm. so I also just to add one more thing, yeah. because uh, we have Korean speakers who watch this topic, this project. Mm. It's very adorable because they'll call it happy project, which is, you know, the transliteration of just happy into Korean letters. But mm. it sounds like happy, <laughs> the <laughs> happy project. Yeah. So it was a happy incident, basically. Perfect. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. And I think then 
you know, you've seen the genuine success of it. And, and then I think, so if some people are sort of a little bit hesitant about the name, if they actually go into the project and see the interviews and they'll see the, the mm -hmm. value of it, I think. So it encourages people to get past the language sometimes. Yeah, and into it. I agree. And, um, if we just stay on language a little bit, you've already mentioned some of them and mm -hmm. there are words sometimes I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say or, or what's done in decent companies. So please, you know, let's understand that and, and teach me or give me some insight if you can. But you just mentioned Honyol. There's mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. mixed mm -hmm. Korean. Um, how do these words differ? I know some of them do mm -hmm. differ, but how do you understand these different words, these different terms? Mm -hmm. And do you think, and as an extension of that question, do you think this topic is easier to discuss in English or Korean? Does one of these mm -hmm. languages mm -hmm. lend itself more naturally to this type of conversation or the language itself is irrelevant? What matters is the actual content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, when I'm talking about this topic in Korean versus speaking in English, I find in Korean, I'm almost a bit limited, um, especially when I just use the term like and right? Um, because those words naturally, because they are Korean, will carry some kind of nuance or feeling that just, just happens to be in the Korean word as words do. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been very interested to know when I say kyopo, for example, the first that comes to mind are American, right. Koreans abroad in America. But there are kyopos all over the world whose citizenship will belong to a different nation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find that interesting as well. And hunyor, depending on who you're talking to, especially uh, uh, by age, I would say, you right. know, there are some people who consider it very negatively, some people who are very proud of it. So in that regard as well, it it, it can change who I'm talking to, how they perceive it. Um, and tamunwa kajong, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm unsettled about the term tamunwa kajong. It's not mm. a negative thing by any means. The thing to point out is all of these terms, they're not negative innately it is right, just right. it is just what the society the impact or or uh, nuance that they have put on those words how society views it so the words themselves i don't think are negative words um but yeah it is it is interesting speaking about these issues versus english or in korean um the fight against honyor bureau for example right because pre previously when the first korean mixed koreans were starting to appear in korean society they had a separate bureau mm -hmm. Yep. in the Korean government to deal with Honyor issues. Um, and so people who are mixed Korean fought really hard against that. We are just Korean um, because of, you know, this pride and wanting to be part of the Wuri. Mm. But we see that this term has stubbornly stuck throughout all of this time. And now the meaning has changed as time has gone on. Um, and also I think Honyor can be uh, very acceptable too. Again, depending on who it is. But um, there are a lot of different terms that we use, and I feel like every single term kind of slices it here or there, or gives it a different nuance or a different bent. And that's why we have to have these conversations because it's yeah. not exactly 100% set on what is everybody universally accepted. I agree and have the conversations and have them in long form and let people then explain themselves because sometimes mm -hmm. we get so caught up on our perception of that word, whether it's a good word or a bad word, yes. without looking at the actual, the meaning and the content and the intentions of people using yeah. those words it is from the Korean language perspective is is Honyol passing out of fashion have you noticed or is it still there I'm not sure uh, uh yeah I wonder for um 
the language that is used, let's say legally in documents yeah. or what they use in textbooks now, et cetera, uh, doesn't always match up to what is being used in the mainstream conversation. And everywhere I look, Honyor has made a great reappearance, even mm -hmm. with people who are 100% English speakers will use the word Honyor, which I, I've noticed. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the prevalence of mixed Korean K-pop artists. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of is part of the Hallyu wave. Um, and so people will use the term can I say it's having a great revival? I don't really know, but I do see many younger generation of mixed Koreans um, searching for a term to use to describe themselves. And even if mm. they don't speak Korean, somehow land on the term and then instill some pride in that. So I, I haven't seen it phasing out, but I do remember years back, maybe when I was about 16, um, when I was visiting Korea at that time, and I, I learned about the term honyar, and I used mm. it with, with somebody there who was similar to my age. They're like, are you American? And I said, oh, I'm honyar. And they were kind of a little taken aback by the use of this word. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay, I see. But now as, as time has gone by, if I speak to someone who's my age, and oh, I'm honyar, most people just are, oh, okay, I see, yeah. So one of your parents is what, American? And and then, then we talk about it. But again, it still requires com conversation. Sure. Some people like it, some people don't. L let's get on to that age thing then, I think, Becky, mm -hmm. because when I spoke to some people getting ready for this, uh, to, to speak to you, a couple of people said to me, um, I'm so interested in this. And they said that they were halfies too, but they were both men in their late 40s, 50s. Yes. And so they were really interested in this generation thing because they looked at your channel and then they saw lots of people perhaps um, much younger than them for the most yes. part, you know, sort of 20s and 30s. So obviously we just talked about social attitudes changing. We also have social media technology, racial awareness. We also have the mm -hmm. Hallyu boom. Career yes. is now cool. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you think this this sort of half Korean experience of the one that you've had is different from say people 20 years older than you or people 20 mm -hmm. years younger than you how does it change mm -hmm. over time like that mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean part of it has to do with the what we're seeing what is represented how half koreans are represented in the mainstream and entertainment right. um what becomes acceptable now multi-global uh multicultural families are more and more appearing um and so I do think often about um, the, let's say the first gen or second gen of mixed Koreans, those who are older than me and those who have had a very different experience, sometimes how jarring or maybe even disconcerting it could be to have experienced a majority of your life being maybe uh, discriminated against or just outright hated because of your mixed Koreanness with this sudden shift in what is socially acceptable and how half Koreans are now viewed mm. in generally a more positive light if we're talking on a surface level. Um, and so I know that our project is, is distinctly lacking in those older voices. And prior to COVID, we had quite a number of, of uh, interviews lined up actually, mm. but so many got canceled or pushed off um, and I haven't yet pursued them, but that, that is, that is uh it is important to note that there is a big difference in the experience, I think, of older mixed Koreans versus mixed Koreans today who are maybe in, in my age and um, the, the younger uh, generation that is coming up. And I feel as though 
where I am right now, and, and maybe this is why also I speak to a lot of mixed Koreans who are in their 20s and 30s, because they have more of an openness to talk about it, because it might mm -hmm. not be as painful. Yeah. Um, and also, we are right in the middle of seeing that giant transition happen at an age where we still very vividly remember. I must have hit, I must have been at least maybe like 20 or 22 where I was still getting berated by taxi drivers for being mixed Korean and the blaming of my parents for mm -hmm. ruining our country. Um, and yet suddenly in five, six years span of time, people are actively asking for mixed Korean models to represent Samsung. Mm. Um, and I think 10, 20 years ago, 10, at least 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I never could have imagined that. And how much more so it would have been for the older generation. And um, I think it is important for us to remember that. And now as what we're doing at Happy Project, hopefully archive that very mm -hmm. honest experience so that the next generation of mixed Koreans perhaps can appreciate that, can also wonder to themselves like, oh, wow, what was my own, what were mixed Koreans like prior to me? Um, and to make sure it doesn't happen to the next generation, to, to feel safe and, and comfortable in being mixed Korean wherever they go. Um, but yeah, it, it is very interesting in the short period of time, how mm -hmm. much change has happened. On one hand, it's, it's very hard to, like, it's a very good thing to see. And I love to see uh, the development that has happened in Korea in a short period of time. Right. Um, and so we just continue what we're doing. And, and I do know we, we need some more older mixed Koreans. And I cannot say ever that my experience or another guest experience will be equal to someone else's experience. So it's important to cover all of these stories. From listening to you, Becky, do you think it's getting easier, the experience? It sounds like that, but you, you said it was changing. So definitely mm -hmm. it is changing. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you think the experience, not saying it's easy, but do you think it's getting easier? Mm -hmm. Or is it in bringing ways, new challenges? Sorry. Mm -mm -mm. Mm. No, that's a great question. Um, I would say, and in, in just in my own observations, it it's just, in some ways, of course, it has become easier. There is hopefully less outright abuse to people who are mixed Koreans. Mm. Maybe in the more public eye, we know it does still happen, especially behind closed doors um, and in certain societies. But I would say that um, hopefully there's still more, there's more general respect. Um, so yeah, I would say in some ways it has become much easier, but uh, there was a, a guest that we had who described it really well. She said, when I was younger, it was them and us mm -hmm. and they hated us. And so that's why they didn't let us come in. And she said, and now I see it has changed that it's them and us and they don't hate us and push us away, but they haven't quite embraced us in the fold. So it may not be the same sort of painful antagonism that exists, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it is still not, we're still not accepted. So you would still feel a certain sense of neglect because every human wants to be welcomed and accept and be part of the whole. So she says, one day it'll become just Uri. Mm -hmm. And she thinks slowly, maybe one day we'll reach that point. But um, I do agree with her with what she's saying. So yes, it has become easier, I would say. For some people, maybe it is still very a painful experience. Maybe for other people, they see it as much better. Can you, this might be a weird question, can you envisage or imagine a day when the Harfi project is no longer needed? Yeah. When, you know, if that full integration or awareness of identity and race culture changes to such an extent that actually it would be a strange thing to talk about. Yes. Um, I think when I first began this project, it was very personal to me. Um, mm. It was, I mean, really, 
I like to say, oh, born out of this and born out of that. But in reality, it was a sort of anxiety and anger that I carried that kind of came forth in this project that thankfully has blossomed into something a lot greater than myself. Um, and I and I'm very careful to tell myself not to grasp this so tightly because this isn't about me. And also to recognize that the whole purpose of the Happy Project is to raise so much awareness in conversation that mm. which was something which needed to be explicitly expressed, you do not do this, you must do this, this is how things are, will then become so implicitly part of just the society and culture that what would be the point of, of speaking about it? Um, and I have told myself many times, you know, Becky, one day this will only be archives. Mm -hmm. Like this will not be a living, breathing project. It will just be archives. And that doesn't, you know, demote its importance. But I, I, I always keep that in mind and um, makes me a little sad on one hand. But on the other hand, it makes me very happy to think we wouldn't be required to have these conversations because right. we would all just know. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's great that you have this archive and because it, it, it measures a moment in time but it also, as well as the personal stories, it measures the the social attitudes and the language mm -hmm. and, and that. So I, I think it's really great. We've touched on, I think, language. We've touched on uh, the global nature. We've also uh, looked at age. But then what about gender in this thing? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. obviously you speak to lots of different people. I have two young children, Edward Elizabeth. They have Korean passports. They have British passports. Mm -hmm. However, going forward, Edward will face the question of military service. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that he will have to look at. At the moment, for, for Korean people, it's mandatory. It's a little bit mm -hmm. less than two years. It's getting easier. They get smartphones and things now. But still, it's a, it, it's a long and it's a commitment. And everybody mm -hmm. has their own attitudes towards that. So what have you noticed in terms of gender and the Harfi project are there mm -hmm. great differences does that military service question come up a lot do, do girls or, or women face different challenges mm -hmm. i think actually in the case of uh korea it's the military service that is the great distinction yeah when we have this conversation of course korea has very distinct gender roles still it is quite um well ingrained in the society yeah. and as a woman or as a man, you may feel those, regardless of being mixed Korean or not. But it's especially when the, the question of military service comes up that we're always asking this, well, do mixed Koreans need to go to military? Should you be required to military? You know, thankfully you are mixed, so you could claim a different country citizenship, so you mm. could avoid it altogether. Um, and it comes down to what does Korea society believe is what makes up a Korean man? And um, I think attending Korean military is, is a big part of that, significant. Yeah. It is the, the coming of age, I suppose you could say. And so when uh, mixed Korean boys will ask me who are still underage or their parents will ask me, should I send my son to military? Should we just get him, you know, US citizenship instead? It's just always the, the question you're really asking is how much does he need to invest of himself to be accepted as a Korean male? And it seems at this point, you gotta ask very seriously, does, does Korean service will that be a requirement in order to be accepted fully as, as a Korean male? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, at this point, I, I do think yes, because it's so such a big part. Um, but again, we don't know what things will be like in the future and already things have changed a bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so in that regard, I would say boys do have something additional to think about. Yeah, because it's not just the choice, but if they don't do it, they have to give up their Korean passport. And, right and, yes and i know we've talked about that identity is not just a passport but it's something deeper but that's it that's a huge 
yeah. decision. We also touched on this idea of the uh, mixed Korean school uh, that you mm -hmm. visited. And I'm wondering, so if uh, people were to do the military service, should there be sort of a half fee military service? <laughs> I, I, I know I'm wording yeah. it wrong, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Should yeah. they be integrated into the normal Korean military man experience? Should there be special mm -hmm. dispensations or, or think how, how would you see it in reality playing out? Well, we have one one uh, friend of ours who is now in Korean military and prior to going, we did, you know, an interview with him asking, what do you think about this? Do you feel well prepared? How did you prepare to go to Korean military? Mm. And um, one, the most major factor would be the Korean language there. Mm -hmm. I think there is very little room for um, for accidents or or misunderstandings when you're in the Korean military. So language sure. is paramount. Right. Um, but the other aspect is it's like Korean military is it's a bubble of Korean society in its own. And so the language that you use is different and the way things are regimented in the hierarchy system, it's different inside the military as opposed to just ordinary Korean society. But what happens in there is reflected in Korean society, especially if you are a man, uh, particularly, let's say, in the office or business setting. Mm -hmm. And so he, he was saying he had the choice to not go. He didn't have to go to Korean service. So he wanted to keep his Korean passport. Mm. One, of course, so that he could stay and work in Korea where his family is right now. Um, but two, he said, I just want to understand how Korean men think and interact with each other. And the military, I think, is a, is a very concentrated form of that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so uh, as to having to attend a separate military service, I think that would completely defeat the purpose. It might make it easier. It might make you feel a little bit safer, right? But um, would that be the right thing to do? I, I don't think so, because it, it is mirrored in Korean society as well. But then again, I am speaking as a woman who doesn't have to go to military service. So, And it does, no, thank you for that. And it does seem that the military service is getting better in terms of the, the treatment of soldiers. So hopefully yes. yeah, people experience that. Um, I want to get on to the idea of beauty and, and your modeling. Mm -hmm. But just before mm -hmm. we do that, um, somebody did ask me to ask you this question specifically mm -hmm. that as a parent of two children of mixed heritage, when they're out in the streets, um, a lot of people will come up to them and to their two kids and sort of say, yes. wow, they look so American or they look so Korean. And I've experienced similar things. And, wow, look at the red face. Um, but, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? There is this kind of Korean people, middle-aged, elderly people will come up to the children and, yes. and, and remark on their appearance one way or the other it's mm -hmm. generally very positive um yes but the person that spoke to me about this said that she was unsure the best way to respond to these things you know mm -hmm. it's not about you know being offensive or causing a fight or anything but when people do come up and comment specifically on their appearance in terms of nationality or identity mm -hmm. do you have any suggestions or ideas on how to respond to these things mm -hmm. i think especially for the person who submitted this question it might be particularly annoying to them because it's their mm. everyday interaction when yeah. the individual who comes up and, and makes this comment to them it might be their their one time ever in their entire life that they've ever seen a kid who looks like this um, and so I, I do try to keep that in perspective when I hear this comment all the time everywhere I go and uh, it's very interesting again it's because it's purely based on how you look and we 
most people interact in the world and make quick judgments based on how an individual looks, whether we know that consciously or not. And it's just easy to do that when it comes to ethnicity and what we consider right. to be Korean features and what we consider to be quote unquote American features. Yeah. And um, yeah, so like it's, it's just an easy way, I think, to try to box where this child should fit in. And that can also determine the way you interact with this kid later on. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing in all things, whether they mean it negatively or not. Mm. Um, how do you respond to such a situation? We recently did a podcast on this and um, I think we released it, the audio form only, and then we'll release it on the video later uh, this week. But the, when people would say like, oh, you're half Korean, that's so cool. Or I'm mm. so jealous, or you're so lucky. And um, we kind of dissected what that might, what that might mean to us. And in most cases, it's just 그냥 하는 말이지, right? Just something people say. It's just part of the conversation. Um, but really, we dissected a bit to mean what? What do you mean when you say, "Oh, you look so American"? Well, you're so lucky. Is it because we have features that you want, or is it because you think we speak English fluently, or is it because of such and such and such um, assumptions that you might be making about me, or in this case, about their child? And uh, so, you know, we broke it down a bit and how it makes us feel. But I, I do always try to keep in mind, like, maybe I'm the only half Korean they've ever met in their entire life. Um, and Korea is very, it's still very heavily, let's say, not reliant, but considers very strongly your weibo, uh, like how you look. Mm. What can you say? What can you say in those cases? That is why it is such a, an odd, at times awkward interaction. Mm -hmm. um, because you don't want to say, you're right, she looks very American, because it somewhat discounts their other heritage, but saying, oh, you're right, they look Korean, in hopes to ingratiate yourself with Korean society. I don't know, it is a very odd topic, and I, I think it is a case-by-case -case situation. Who is that person? Can you speak to them? Do they genuinely want to know? Is this a conversation you're willing to have right now? Um, and, and I think you would need to consider that. I think you uh, enlightened me to something that I hadn't considered, because when I was looking at this question, I was thinking of it sort of out of context in a vacuum. What would I say in that situation? Mm -hmm. But you made a really important point, Becky, that that might be the 50th time this week or this month that you've heard it. And mm -hmm. so it's not what would you say in that situation? It's what would you say when it's the umpteenth time <laughs> that you've heard yeah. it? And and that's why this person is asking that question, I think, because yeah. you, you start doing things over and over and you start questioning yourself. So yeah. I think just keeping that in mind is a really important thing. That although mm -hmm. it's the, the however many times you've heard it, it might be the first time that person's ever said it and their first interaction or something like that. That's yeah, absolutely. Then, it's like it's kind of like a, a very tall person, and everyone who sees you, oh my gosh, you're so tall! Really, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> but to you, to them, you're the tallest person they've ever seen in their life. This is amazing. Yeah. But for yeah. me, it's my it's my everyday experience, right? So I, I think <laughs> having that sort of total. Uh, yeah. understanding would be very helpful. And never forget, I used to walk past a, a kindergarten on my way home from work and all the kids would mm -hmm. see me and they'd come running out going, Migo Kim Wata! I'm never going to correct them, you know, just let them, yeah. let them be, it's it's fine. Yeah, right, right. right. But inside, you know, I, I'm seething, I'm not American, <laughs> but damn it. But I, I, I just yeah. let them go with it. Yeah. Um, on that kind of idea of appearance, I think that's a good way to get into this mm -hmm. next uh, aspect, which is beauty, fashion, and modeling. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you've been working um, as a model and, and doing various mm -hmm. things in Korea in that industry. You said in one of your videos that when you were first being signed, uh, one of the people said, their words, shall we sign her? She has an exotic look. Yes. Now, people can take that comment either way. Some people might mm -hmm. find that positive or negative. Um, and as a species, despite what the proverbs tell us about not judging books, we do often rely on our sight and first impressions. It's this natural thing that we try to overcome. Now, looks and beauty seem to be getting more and more important with social media, Instagram. Mm. Um, how does appearance and beauty play a role in the Hafi experience, Becky? It's such a good question um, because I feel like especially um, the way half Koreans are represented in entertainment and media, it's almost like the whole half Korean experience has been distilled to just how you look, your right. appearance and mm -hmm. how accepted you will be in society. And um, we easily fall into this, uh, this group think what half Korean might look like, which when people say beautiful, well, half Koreans are all beautiful, which I hear all the time, um, which shows to me, one, a limited experience on what the whole spectrum of what mixed Korean might look like. And two, assuming that they're gonna carry the kind of features that you consider to be beautiful, which in most, more often than not, it, it would, might be someone who is white and Korean. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this celebration of white features on somebody who is Asian enough to not be an alien. Um, and so I, I think this is a, a question that a lot of, or a comment that a lot of mixed Koreans will hear like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so lucky to be half Korean. Um, and so, yeah, inevitably appearance plays a big, a big role in your in mixed Korean experience. Um, we had spoken to somebody, he's uh, Indian and half Korean. And it's so funny because when you read so many comments, people are like, oh my gosh, he's so gorgeous. I never saw somebody who looked like that beautiful person, blah, 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 blah. While he himself was telling me, I never grew up feeling like anyone found me attractive, especially not Koreans because I am half Indian. And so that was, it was a very interesting dichotomy that I saw playing out. But the thing about the, the modeling world, um, on one hand, I'm complicit to this because I also am taking advantage of the, the current environment and times that say this is what this look should be celebrated. And I understand that and recognize that. But at the other hand, I also say that I think these mixed Koreans um, have a look that would not be commonly seen among, let's say, ordinary or traditional Korean society, right? And just the nature of the modeling world is to have features that will catch people's eye, right. whether you consider them traditionally beautiful, mainstream beautiful or not. This is why you're going to have very odd looking people who are models, because it's all about catching the eye. Mm -hmm. And for the time being, I would say mixed Koreans carry features that are not so commonly seen. Therefore, you catch the eye. And so they're put in places such as the stage and magazine covers and, and fashion runways. Um, so I feel it is thanks to those people who are willing to step on the stage, mm. the half Koreans do get more representation and, and do see more people see them as uh, people. On the other hand, I, I wonder if it, if the, the pendulum has swung so far from disliked and outright tried to hide half Koreans to celebrating Koreans and the way they look mm. so much that is simply stripped down to purely how half Koreans look as giving them value. And I, I my hope is the pendulum, of course, will swing the other way. And eventually we will see mixed Koreans who are not just top models, but also top lawyers, mm -hmm. top attorneys mm. and, and top lawmakers. Do you, I'm not sure if these questions are personal or, do mm. you think that you look Korean? 
And are you able, that's the first question. The second one would be, are you able to make yourself look more Korean or less Korean through makeup and beauty? It might be stupid, <laughs> but I, I, I'm curious. What, what's the, what's that? It's a great to? question. I mean, we've seen so many, um, have you seen the YouTube videos where people who are Korean will paint their faces with makeup and everything to look like Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, I've seen some of those <laughs> things, yeah. yeah. So we, we cannot deny the magic of makeup and the ability to transform. Mm. Um, did, did I grow up thinking I looked Korean? I, I don't think I did. I, I just saw myself as what I look like. Right. right, right, right. Um, and it was only when I started gaining, let's hear outside perspective saying, Oh my goodness, you look like your mom mm. or, Oh, your eyes are so Korean. You have this that's so Korean. And it just, it would make me analyze myself in a kind of different light. Um, and yeah, it is when, depending on who the makeup artist is, sometimes mm. they want you to look very white or I'll be cast as a Korean role. And so they, actively choose outfits and styling to look more Korean. Um, and I, I guess that is why they do like, uh, some brands might like working with somebody like me because you could be a chameleon fitting here and there. And, and that in itself, I don't think is is a bad thing. Something What's that's interesting. No, go yeah. oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, was, this, I don't know if exactly where you're going with, but um, just as a side note, mm. um, it's kind of similar to when I met Cedric. When I first saw him, the mm. only thing I noticed was, oh, he's half Korean. I can see that. And, uh, and I went over and I was like, aren't you half Korean? He's like, yeah. He says, most people don't see that right away, but I could see it right from the very beginning. But now after, you know, three, four years later, I don't even see him as Korean or as black. I simply see the person. So right. it is interesting how your eyes will, will change, you know, what you're looking at. That is interesting how you'd be able to spot people, you know, you, you can pick those features out. I was going to ask you when you, you mentioned this idea of being a chameleon, so you could go either way. When people might do that to accentuate, what does that actually, what do they actually do though? Is it hair? Is it eyes? Oh. Is it skin? Do you know what I mean? Like how yeah. does, what's the actual reality of the process? Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Oh, well, I mean, there are different makeup techniques. I don't know how well-versed you are in uh, makeup trends, but <laughs> they have uh, certain looks that they would say, like, this accentuates your eyes. This is like the Korean style of makeup. This is the American style of makeup. And they are very distinct. Mm -hmm. um, the, the differences are distinct. Uh, as to making me look more Korean, I, I don't really know what they actually do. If it's a certain type of eyeliner that they're like eyeline shape that they use. Um, the hair, of course, they will do the hair a certain way. It's like the Korean, I don't know, like radio host look, right? That you'll see on TVs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't actively tell you exactly what it is that changes it, but maybe just the general makeup style. What, yeah. When I watch Korean TV, I've noticed there's generally a certain hairstyle. Mm -hmm. There was that kind of very wet look skin. <laughs> it was really all over the TV and it looked kind of like you need a towel, mate. I, yeah. I, I could never quite get comfortable with that. I've, yeah. also, I've also noticed that people are getting whiter and whiter. I don't know if that's just my observation, but the news. Yes. When I look at old sort of K-pop and documentary videos from the 80s, 90s, people much mm -hmm. darker. When I look mm -hmm, at it today, mm -hmm. it's just like vroom. And I can yeah. tell they've got huge lights or something pushed at them. Yeah, it is. I, I just think it's a general the the trend at yeah, the moment sure yeah maybe people will get washed out so you can't even see their eyes anymore and then they'll be like oh we should tone it down and then it'll go back the other direction but we'll see um what is the let's just stay on this idea of uh, beauty and lookism because mm -hmm. in south korea and and how this relates i guess to the sort of half year experience but in south korea appearance is so important 
and it's hard to stress that to people outside of Korea sometimes, or it's hard to explain it. But yeah. you know, lookism is is off the charts. Plastic surgery mm. is common; it's understood mm -hmm, differently. Mm -hmm. It resonates differently here. Um, you're expected to dress up. You're expected to wear makeup. You're expected to look the part for the for mm -hmm. the most things. So, how have you understood? beauty standards in Korea and how are they sort of different from the States? I've mm. often thought that that beauty and appearance is one of the few elements of discrimination in society that we don't talk about. You know, mm -hmm. we it, I, I still think people judge uh, people on beauty quite a lot. Yes. As someone very sensitive to beauty, I guess, mm -hmm. can you explain from your perspective how beauty plays a role in Korean society? Yes. Um... I, I can't say, of course, this is how everyone actively thinks, but I think almost in general, it's it's almost like how you look on the outside should be a representation of who you are on the inside, which we know mm. is not true. But somebody who looks put together, who does their makeup every day, who stands well in good posture and good outfit, well, then they must be hardworking and they must be polite people and they must be smart and well-educated. Mm. And we know, of course, that this is not the truth whatsoever. I mean, just look at it, any <laughs> look at any Google engineer and you will see right away <laughs> um, that's not true. But uh, I, I think that is still withheld really strongly here in Korea. And competition is just so fierce mm. that um, everybody could be well-educated everybody could be polite and put together and hardworking. So where can you get your edge? Then maybe the only edge that you can really actively put into anymore is, is how you look on the outside. Mm. Um, and I think it is really, especially a standard that's forced upon women. And so this is why plastic surgery is so common because I don't know, somehow having bigger eyes with double eyelids constitutes as more beautiful and therefore you are more fitting for this position, which, mm. which I, I do think can uh, fall down to very foolish uh, conclusions. But uh, yeah, so it's, it is no wonder that there will be people who, who really struggle with that here. And uh, something that was interesting specifically about these standards is I had spoken with a girl, she's a Korean adoptee who grew up in the US mm. and she has very traditional Korean features, totally untouched by plastic surgery. She has darker skin, she has non-double eyelid eyes. And uh, she always said that she felt very proud in her Korean appearance growing up. Then when she came to Korea and everyone around her didn't look like her. And she felt like, I thought I would blend in here. And yet mm. there were so many people who were trying to appear, let's say Eurasian or doing so much plastic surgery that as time went on and people would judge her like, well, why don't you do double eyelid? Why don't you do this? And she would feel as though she was now considered as ugly because of how strong the Korean beauty mm. standards might be or, or withheld. Um, and so I think it can be it can be a bit crushing, like a little soul crushing to be wandering in this pond of people who all think this is the beauty standard. Um, and it, it's easier said than to actually accept and live with, to recognize that beauty standards are, are um, based on just that community at the time. Mm. And also, and also, yeah, that's that current time and age. And we, we can see the trends and changes of beauty throughout time. You might be beautiful then you might not be beautiful now. Um, but beauty again is, is very subjective. I think it's just very strongly felt here in Korea because it is, it is, it has such a hold. Yeah. Yeah, it does. One story recently, I, we were getting Elizabeth's British passport. And so mm -hmm. my, my daughter, and so we took her to get the photo done. 
and then upload it onto the to the passport office website and you it's mm-hmm. all digital and you fill it in and they rejected our photo because it had been digitally affected <laughs> uh, so they said you can't have this and oh, so wow. we went we went back to the guy and we paid again we said can we have yeah. one with nothing on it yes. and they said yep yeah, okay and the photos look beautiful you know elizabeth yeah. never looked prettier upload it again the british passport rejects it again because it's affected and so eventually wow. i just get elizabeth and stand her up against the wall get my phone take a photo yeah. and she comes out looking all sort of like this with different colors <laughs> and face upload works perfectly oh, oh, oh. i thought that was really interesting insight that sort of mm-hmm. even on legal documents the differences between those two cultures not to say one is better or worse but how they manifest in real life that yes. in korea you put your best photo forward and you do yes. what you can and you put it whereas in in the united kingdom they were saying it has to be you with all your blemishes and mm-hmm. no filters we want that and that was kind of interesting <laughs> yeah, that is interesting what um what is the model fashion industry like in korea becky because you you've spoken about it on your channel like you 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 start by just walking into the top agency and sort of being like, give me a job. God damn it. I'm hot. And, and, and you go from that. And now I turn on the television. I I see you in advertisements for some of the world's biggest brands. There you are. I've also had the pleasure of trying to stand next to you and have photos taken when we were doing radio. And that was a very unpleasant experience. (laughs) What's it, what's it like in the Korean modeling industry? Is it all cocaine and 4am photo shoots and champagne? Is is it competitive? Is it friendly? Is it rewarding? Can you give us any inside of it? The Korean modeling industry. I'm very cautious when I talk. I, I used to not be so cautious because, you know, who was listening to me? I understand, um, yeah. <laughs> and also it's, it's very well connected. And the industry itself already just by nature is a very very difficult and demanding uh, industry to Mm. break into and then also to last and survive. Um, Oh gosh, I see, I tried to separate the model industry itself versus my experience in the model industry. Mm. Um, But for myself personally, I have found it to be at times, at times very rewarding and meeting a lot of interesting, accomplished, unique, kind people um, but that might be one out of 10 people that I meet. Right. And uh, I think the nature of the, the business kind of forces you to, to use and to abuse your resources and uh, to claw your way up. And maybe that has to do partly with Korea's uh, hierarchical structure. Um, and so I don't think it has to be this hard. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, it is very competitive. Especially in Korea, as we spoke already about the beauty standards, it's like a certain beauty standard that you have to reach just to be considered normally beautiful and then to break into that extra elite, you need that something. Mm. It's not always clear what it is. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I I used to feel very, um, very hurt by a lot of what went on and the way people treated me. And so I would hold that really closely. And sometimes some of the work I've done today, I recognize it was driven out of a desire to have my revenge, you know, to prove to people and that that itself is not healthy. So I'm trying, well, I think I have moved past that. Um, and now just enjoying uh, the hard work that I've put in and, and hopefully keep moving forward. But um, yeah, I, I talked to a lot of people about the modeling industry because they asked me, how do I break into it? What should I do? How should I do that? 
Um, and a lot of it really is just being taking care of yourself and having good self-awareness, recognizing where do you fit in right now and what are the beauty standards? Mm. And then just do your absolute best to stand out, do your own work because no one's going to give it to you. Um, yeah, but I, I guess you could say that about almost any industry, right? Sure. I think that desire to prove people wrong or get one is, is a great fuel. You said it might not be the healthiest and yeah. it's, it's sometimes good when we're rising up, you know, and then yes. you sort of, you, you approach things differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, age, I think helps with that. You know, you come yeah. to terms with it. Um, a couple of questions perhaps then to close Becky in <laughs> speaking of age in 20 years and there's kind of one of the reasons that I do follow your project and, and try to pay attention to what's going on. It's possible m that my children, Edward and Elizabeth, could be interviewed um, on yeah. the Harfi project. But you know what I mean? Because they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're in that. Um, they're now obviously very young, five and six. But mm -hmm. in that sense, what advice would you have for young children growing up in this situation? Or what do you wish that 20, 2022 Becky could say to 1990 Becky, like, so mm -hmm. not towards adults so much, but mm -hmm. comments aimed at very young children with sort of limited understanding of, you know, identity and awareness. But is there anything that could be said to those, those younger people? Mm -hmm. Of course, five and six is, is really quite a young age to start uh, separating between, you know, different aspects of identity and what all that is. Um, you could just tell yeah. them watch cartoons. <laughs> it doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, you really could. Yeah. Uh, I think part at that age, I would say a lot of it is up to the, the parents' role. But if we fast forward, let's say to maybe 10 or 11 years old, when there's a little mm. bit more of a, a consciousness of that, um, I would probably just say, hey, take, why don't you enjoy Korean movies and English speaking books and, and also just just explore every opportunity that you have. And I would also say to just be be proud and happy of your family and, and what those differences are, even though maybe you might look different or your one of your parents speaks a different language or doesn't understand what's going on at parent teacher conferences. It's nothing to be embarrassed of. Um, it is hard to tell the child alone to be proud of that if everyone else around you is interacting funny or looking at your parent funny or whatever. Um, but I think if, you're, if your kid is growing up with a healthy sense of, oh, I am special and loved and taken care of, not because I'm mixed Korean, but just because this is who I am and this mm. is my family, um, I think that really goes a long way. I think um, schools and education plays a big role in this as well. And I mentioned teachers uh, in this conversation because I think teachers have a great influence on kids and the way they interact with each other. Um, and just being frank and open. I, I wonder if saying things like, don't look at someone's race or I don't see color. I don't know if that's a healthy thing because sure. we do. Um, and the most important thing is recognizing that a different color is not a bad thing, right? Or a different look is not a bad thing. And so just having those kind of conversations, not in a, in a heavy way, but just as a natural way, because it is, it should be just natural. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really do think a lot of it comes down to the environment at home first and foremost, and then um, the schools. Yeah. Cause the way children end up viewing the world and themselves, at least in my experience, a lot of it has to do with how the students around me interacted with me. And, and um, that being said, I, I guess it's, this isn't going to just be a one person who changes everything. It's gotta sure. be part of the bigger conversation. 
makes a lot of sense and the schools is a big one edward is my son has told me that when i go mm -hmm. to his kindergarten and that that i shouldn't speak english he's actually told me please only speak korean <laughs> when you go there and so we've got a little <laughs> deal okay in those situations and they have to get like their temperatures checked when they go in mm. because of covid and things like that and the lady mm. will tell me the temperature she'll say like uh, and so i have to write mm. it down but he'll come and check that i've understood <laughs> like he's checking my career did you get that daddy you understood that so the schools That's are an interesting cute. thing another yeah. one i've known just the last one is that in the school all the children will have their names and they'll say kim ju hee and, and park mm -hmm. and then he'll get to his locker and it says and even they can't even get his name mm -hmm. on this locker so i think he's already mm -hmm. getting that sense of it yeah did you ever consider uh, do kids have korean names by any chance no give them english names right i was um, you know sometimes we were talking about why you named your project and things like that sometimes you just make decisions in the moment <laughs> and, and you try to have to ad hoc yeah. like justify why you did it but at the time i was like i want my kids to have one name mm -hmm. i don't want them to have uh, two names two identities this kind of james bond like that's who you are deal yeah. with it do, uh -huh. do you have a korean name i don't think i have any name. so no no uh my dad named all of us my me and my two sisters and their name our names are quite long right. um like i'm rebecca rose white which does cause some troubles when people in korea like white to rebecca rose and it is yeah. road or rose rose so it you know changes and in those moments i've been very frustrated like oh why didn't you just give me a korean name but <laughs> He gave all of these names with um with the well-intended reason that you can shorten them all to sound what he thought was a Korean name. So like Rebecca could become Becky because mm -hmm. he would always hear like double syllables, you yeah, know. And I have yeah. another sister who's Kimberly, so Kimmy, without realizing that Kim, you know, is a last name. So her <laughs> first name would be me. So it's happened as well with Becky, as if my last name is Peck. So well-intended. Um, and it's worked out for me. Okay, Becky. But uh, sometimes I've thought, man, if I only had a Korean name, I could bypass so many conversations. Have you thought but, what it would be? Have you have you picked one out that you think, have you tried on a Korean name? Yeah, actually, it's quite funny. So my middle name is Rose, right? right. And so sometimes people call me Changmi, Changmi, like Rose Changmi. Yeah. But my last name is White, which would be Pei. Yeah. So <laughs> they'd be like, Pei Changmi, which is somewhat, you know, of that folk legend of that gangster girl. Pek Changmi and her like seven warriors or something. And so if I introduce, oh, I'm Pek Changmi, people are like, um, okay. Like it gives a certain image, like this yeah. tough girl. I try to avoid that. So I just stick with Becky now. Fair enough. Yeah, that's great. The 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 last question I have for you today, Becky, is that mm -hmm. um in your talk for the RAS and the other conversations you've had on your channel that I've listened mm -hmm. to, um religion church spirituality they all appear at various times in different guises mm -hmm. and you've already mentioned sort of the 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 muslim and the christian household of the one person that you spoke to yeah um for even of us for even for those of us who aren't uh half korean or don't have children what message mm -hmm. or what idea do you think the world needs to hear right mm -hmm. now or perhaps just consider a little bit more mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah i mean for, for me, at least, and, and even in things that I've, I've just observed when I talk to people, uh, you've probably already heard it before, but I, I myself have broken down identity into four separate 
things, your family, your community, your personal identity, and your spiritual identity. Mm. Um, and the reason why I include the spiritual identity is I like to make room for something that may exist and play an important role in our lives and the development of ourselves that is greater than our understanding. And I think when we allow space for something bigger than ourselves, not only does it, one, humi- hu- give us some hum- humility, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of humbles right. us a little right. bit. And yeah. where do I fit in in this whole grand of scheme of things? But I also think simultaneously, it, it kind of gives you some more importance, as in feeling like I have a greater meaning. And maybe I don't know yet what that is, but I do play a role in some bigger story that I haven't yet found the ending to. And I'm not just existing for no reason but I can be something important even if I don't win great awards or don't star in a famous film or I'm not the most beautiful person in the world and in a nutshell it's it's basically having meaning without having to prove myself Mm -hmm. which I think is a very um, key component and something that a lot of mixed Koreans feel very strongly how can I just be myself but I don't have to prove myself so this is why I think the spiritual aspect Um, I have found to be very key to having maybe a healthy understanding of yourself. For me, it is uh, it is religion. I do believe there is a God out there. And for I think for other people, it might mean something else or be defined as something else. But um, I don't discount it outright because it gives me a greater meaning, I think, overall in this world. Meaning is important, and I completely agree. Humility is important to to stand before something greater than the self sometimes is. Uh, a very awe-inspiring thing to do. Becky, thank you very much.